Mob mentality. It's a real thing. That is an actual real thing, the mob mentality. So what happens is you got a lot of youngsters here who are just struggling with whatever they're struggling with, and then they attach themselves to this trans space, which makes them feel needed and wanted. And then they, what do they do? They start getting into the energy of it because trust me, just go there one day, stick yourself right in the middle of one of those Facebook groups. You will feel the anger just. So they're all literally being plugged into an anger space and they're all being plugged into this mob mentality. Everyone's a true scum. Everyone's a turf. Everyone's transphobic, even if they're in the community, if they don't follow these guidelines. And to me, I'm like, wake up, people. So I really force these kids to get out of those groups and to get out into the world. Welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Daum. My guest, Buck Angel, is an entrepreneur and a speaker and educator about transgender issues, particularly issues related to trans health care. Now in his late 50s, Buck transitioned from female to male in his late 20s and has more recently become a controversial figure in certain corners of the trans community. He talked with me about why this is, what it's been like to spend decades on masculinizing hormone therapy and why he's worried about the number of clinicians now prescribing such therapy to young people after minimal psychological counseling. A couple points for the record. At one point, Buck refers to the entrepreneur Martine Rothblatt, who is the founder of a biotech company called United Therapeutics. He mistakenly calls her Martine Rathbaum. It's Martine Rothblatt. Um, It's also possible from Buck's phrasing that it might sound as if he's suggesting Rothblatt is among the billionaire class. For the record, United Therapeutics was reportedly worth $7.1 billion as of this past March, but Rothblatt herself, according to Forbes, is worth $390 million. Minor detail. And with that, here's my interview with Buck Angel. Buck Angel, welcome to the podcast. Wow. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, actually. Even though we've never met, you sound like such a cool person. Well, likewise. I only have cool people on. (laughs) Right on. goes without saying. So you have a background as an entertainer, and now you do a lot of work as an activist and an educator. You counsel young people who are struggling with gender identity. But uh, I think it's fair to say guess it's obvious in many corners that you've run afoul of mainstream uh, or at least the most vocal community of trans activists, if you can call it a community. We're going to talk about who you are, what your background is, all of that. But first, I want to know how you characterize yourself as an activist. What are you advocating for and against? So, so first off, thanks for that question. It's super important these days because For me, activism has always been about creating change through visibility, through voice, through discussion. And so I don't necessarily want to be attached to that label these days as trans activism has become something that I don't necessarily agree with. So so activism for me has always been about creating change. And I I don't necessarily call myself an activist these days. I think more of a human rights like uh, awareness person on some level. It's It's kind of sucks because I've been in the LGBT community forever and I've been an activist in it forever. And it just feels kind of like a dirty word these days. So really my, my, my voice tries to advocate for people who, you know, don't fit in the box or feel different or want to just live their life. And it doesn't necessarily pertain to trans activism. I think it just pertains to wanting to find that space where you can live in life happy. Your pinned tweet on Twitter says, 
this is how you describe yourself. I was born biologically female. I used testosterone to masculinize myself. So I feel more like me. I had a legal sex change and now live as a male, all male pronouns. I am a transsexual and will never be biologically male, but I do live as a male. It's very simple. And you have hashtag Trampa. That's what you go by. You seem a little young to be a Trampa, but okay. Um, Why do you call yourself a transsexual and not transgender? Yeah, another good question. So, so, so when you know, transsexual was the really the the OG, (laughs) the old school term of people like ourselves who never felt like I never felt like a girl. My whole, you know, I just didn't feel that way. And I had what we used to call a sex change. And that, that entitled, that basically meant me getting, you know, my breasts removed, taking testosterone, masculinizing, just basically what you said. But what happened was this new term came in called transgender. And then I took on that label as well back in the day because it just became more of a fluid space because I really kind of more changed my gender than my sex because my biological sex will never change. So it just kind of resonated with me. But then we, you know, in the last five or so years, people started to take co-opt. I like to say co-opt this term of transgender and made it into an umbrella term, which now encompasses every variation of, of, of any gender variation, which is fine. No problem with me with that. But transsexual got taken off the off the table as a derogatory statement or a slur. So I realized, wait a minute here, I'm not the same of what's happening today. It's a different space and I'm a transsexual. So for me, transsexual is equates to a medical transition because of gender dysphoria. I was, you know, everything I do is under the medical space. I got, you know, I, I had a doctor diagnose me with gender dysphoria. I got surgeries and I, I take hormones and I live my life now as a, a male. So I think transsexual is more of a medical term. And transgender is more of an identity term. So the, the people right. today are, are identifying as transgender. I do not identify as a transsexual or transgender. I identify as a man. And when you say back in the day, when you took on the transgender term, when was that? So you are, I guess you're in your late 50s. I guess you are old enough to be a trans. I like <laughs> I, it, I, now that I am 50, I don't like the idea that anybody in our decade is old enough for that. So let me just right on. that. So when did you, uh, you were growing, you were a kid in the 1960s, yeah, yeah. in 1970s. So like, t- what's your background? Where are you from? What kind of life were you living as a kid? How did this kind of start to come about for you? Yeah, so I was born in 1962 in uh, Los Angeles, California, in the San Fernando Valley. I grew up there, uh, 60s, 70s, you know, kid, total little surfer kid, very Southern California, surfer, skateboarder, all that. I was the first kid on the block to have Vans tennis shoes. I mean, I remember the whole thing. I had the most awesomest childhood because my parents really did raise me as a boy. And it wasn't, you know, we called it a tomboy back then. We didn't call it trans. We called it a tomboy because, you know, still today, they could be tomboys. You don't know which way kids are going. So, that being said, that's how I was raised. And, you know, and, and I was raised like a boy and everything was totally great for me. So, so that, so, so 26, almost 27 years ago, I started my transition here in Los Angeles. And I was the first guy to do that. Both my doctors had never seen a female to male transsexual before. So I was an experiment. I was a hundred percent an experiment that, you know, actually worked out, which is pretty awesome. And so, and you were in your twenties. Yeah, right. I was in my late, okay. yes, that's right. 
Okay. So you had, were you living as like a very masculine woman? I think you were a fashion model though. Yeah, I was. Oh my God. Unless you were (laughs) one of those uh, androgynous waif models. That's right. (laughs) I was totally on the forefront, like in the eighties on the forefront of what they called androgynous modeling back in the day. And so I was one of the very first people they like discovered me on the street. I was living as a gay woman, totally hardcore dyke, like do very masculine androgynous. Nobody could tell if I was a girl or a boy. And so that was how we kind of lived back then. And tra- and there was nobody transitioning. So when when I sort of got into a space of a therapist who finally, because every time I would go to a therapist, they would say, you're just a very male identified female. And today, I don't even know what that means. But that being said, they did not push me into the trans space. They pus- pushed me into the gay female space. So that's kind of where I lived for a while because there was no other space for me to live in. I was attracted to women. I was very butch and, you know, but I kept saying, I feel like a man and nobody could help me. Nobody. And I suffered for a long time. I went into deep depression. I was alcoholic, a drug addict. I ended up fashion modeling in Europe because I got discovered on the street. Just one of those really crazy stories. But, you know, I went to Europe where they drink like Man, oh my God. And so I got stuck in that drinking, fighting. But they drink with- so responsibly and so in such a sophisticated, <laughs> totally. elegant way compared to American <laughs> drunks. That's right. <laughs> I didn't, but thank God it took me down and then all the agencies wouldn't work with me anymore. I was a mess and sent me back to the States. And I ended up being homeless on the streets and smoking crack. I started prostitution. I mean, it's, it's sometimes I think of my story like, how, how am I here? How did I survive? And it's really, I think a, a big testament to 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 wanting to survive. Like I just felt like I had to survive. Did you know? Did you know about other transsexuals as you were growing up? I mean, there were a couple of famous cases. There was Renee Richards, right, the the tennis player. Um, I mean, did you look to people like her and say, no. "Well, this is possible, so maybe I could do this." No way. I mean, we didn't even talk about it. It was especially as a youngster. I mean, even 14, 50, I struggled so bad in school because you get I got teased. I got teased constantly. I was that little boy who was a girl. You know what I mean? And everyone made fun of me. And I, I, I would actually physically beat the crap out of the boys at school. So everyone would be scared of me because I was that really scary little girl who looked like a boy and was very mad at the world. Right. Even though I had I, I liked my childhood, I can tell you that I it was the bullying that kind of sucked for me. You know what I mean? And that's why when I see bullying today, it just really affects me because there was nobody for me to look at. There was no, the transsexual was Renee Richards, but we didn't talk about that as youth. And we, I didn't, and no, not one single therapist said anything to me about being transsexual. Not one until I met the one in my, in my twenties, in my late twenties. But other than that, nobody said anything about me being trans ever. And so had you had the idea that this was something you, could do or did the therapist kind of like recommend it and all of a sudden it was an option that's right so my last therapist recommended hey wait so so here's the story which is pretty emotional for me so i I walk into her office already defeated because i'm just no if i say i feel like a boy they're she's just gonna knock me down and say well actually you're a gay woman so i you know i was kind of how walking in it i was trying so hard to fix myself going through therapy really putting myself in that space because I had gotten sober at that time. And so I was really trying to work on my own self. And when I walked into this therapist's office, I just sat there for the first five sessions. And if anyone's familiar with therapy, you know, you go in, you sit down, you you have a space, a, a safe space to talk, but I just didn't feel safe. And back in the day, I would wear my cap over my eyes. I was so, I couldn't look at anybody. I was just so distanced from the world. And there I was sitting there for five sessions. And the last 
the fifth session, I said to myself, if I don't say anything, well, I'm wasting a hundred bucks a session. This is ridiculous. So I just said to her, you know, Casey, and I just started crying. I said, Casey, I feel like a man. And I was just prepared for her to say, well, she goes to me like this and <laughs> here it comes. She goes, I know. She actually said to me, I know. And I'm thinking, how does she know? <laughs> I never even said anything, but she said, I know. And now we can try to fix this together because I don't know how to do this. So together we're going to try to figure it out. And because of her, I sit here today. And what year was this? Oh gosh, that was 20, 27, 28 years ago. So yeah. Okay. And yeah. how many years was the process? Did you, did you yes. start hormonal Great treatment question. first and then a bunch yes. of surgeries came yes. and- so what happened was we now we <laughs> here we are in the world of no digital media, <laughs> no right. internet, no Google, no Yahoo, no cell phones. I mean, I think cell phones might have just started. I don't even think I I don't think there was cell phones. So really, I had no technology what you have today. And so we had what we call bookstores, right? Remember books? <laughs> and I went That's to a where bookstore. you picked people up, right? That's right. You actually get information that's worthwhile. And so right. I, I actually found a, a, I don't even know what I was looking for, my friend. I walked into that bookstore, just, I don't know why. And there it was. It was like, I always tell them my stories, like a beam of light, like, oh, like the whole God thing and a shining light. And there was this pamphlet book that I still have today. And it was homemade for trans women, for transgender women. So men becoming women. And it was a whole, and it says resource guide for male to female transgender. Uh, and I was like, what? And it just, and I opened it and there was a list of doctors, surgeons, everything for male to female, but I just reversed it. And with my therapist, we contacted my endocrinologist who said, I've never done this before. I've, I have no idea what to do. I've only worked with men becoming women. And he said, you will be my guinea pig. If you're willing to do this, you'll be my guinea pig. And that was the beginning of it all right there. But I had to bring a note from my therapist. I had to have seen my therapist for two years. I had to have lived as Buck for two years, meaning socially transitioned before I could start to take the hormones. And that was a very rigid, strict space we were in. Yeah. And I don't know why this is coming to mind, but we don't have to, this doesn't uh-huh. require a long answer, but how are you paying for this? I'm, right. curious, I'm curious. Did you have God, insurance? That's a great question. Or, no, that's an like, excellent question. Just, there was no GoFundMe back then. <laughs> so no, there was nothing. I mean, I struggled. I got two jobs. I got two jobs and worked my bum off. And that's why I keep telling these kids, you know, kids every day, they send me, can you please post my GoFundMe? And I said, look, I'm going to have a hard talk with you right now, kiddo, because nobody else is. First off, bad news. Nobody's going to nobody's going to give you money because why are they going to give you money? Nobody knows you. No one cares. So what's that going to do? It's going to create a space for you to feel bad about yourself. I hate those GoFundMe campaigns. They're poor. These kids feel stressed out when they don't get any money. And I'm like, go just go to Starbucks and get a job. They'll hire you. I swear to God. Like, you know, it's a space, I think, now of entitlement on some level. The kids don't see that. Yeah. And. Okay, so fast forward to now. I'm sure you never imagined that there would be a moment when you would, when like you would be having to talk people out of thinking that they were possibly transgender. So you know, I you've been on my radar for a long time, and this topic really fascinates me for a variety of reasons. But I also sometimes worry that like I talk about it too much on the show. I think you're the third, maybe fourth guest that. Um, you know, we've, we've touched on some of these things and, you know, the, the show is very much wrapped up in the idea 
of nuance. I mean, the, the title of the show suggests that we're talking about unspeakable topics, things that have been rendered taboo. But I try to emphasize that the reason most of these topics have been rendered taboo is that they haven't been addressed with enough nuance. They're, they're not given their due complexity. And it seems like the conversation around transgender identities is like number one on that list. Uh, we cannot seem to talk about it uh, in in the sort of multifactorial way that is really required. And so we end up having like all kinds of like little conversations and some people are talking about this way and then some people are just ranting and some people are saying it's, it's, you know, trend, these are trans trenders and they're all like a little, a little reductive. So I'm curious, like, what do you think is happening here? I mean, it seems like this is so much, this is less about gender identity than a sort of larger collective identity crisis or, or new forms of crisis around identity. Like I realize I just blathered on for a while, but what do you, what are your sort of immediate thoughts in the abstract about this? No, you first off, you didn't blab, blab on because what you said is so Im- important for me, uh, who is a transsexual, to hear from you who's not. And what you are seeing it really reflects what I think a lot of people want to say. And it reflects what I see as a elder transsexual person in a world where I started to see change as a guy who transitioned to, you know, live as a man. And the fight I've had to deal with it for the last, you know, 30 years has been insane, but I did it. And I did it to where I feel like I educated a lot of the world around who we are. And I felt like people were starting to understand what was happening. And, you know, I, I never pushed back in the way I see today. I mostly just said, okay, cool. You know, okay, cool. You don't want, you don't want me to be a dude right on. <laughs> I'll just focus my attention somewhere else. And that worked for me. And I walked the world with so many friends and people all over the world who respect my voice because I didn't attack. So, so what I see today is something so opposite of who I am, what I am, where I am, what I believe the transsexual community has always been about. Uh, I feel like there's an agenda attached to it. I do not feel in any way, shape, or form it is any reflection on me and my transition. I feel that there is some form of of, of a space there that is co-opting. I don't feel it's healthy. I feel that there's a lot of misinformation being put out there. And I feel, number one, that the most important part of this is there's no nuance in any of the conversation. It's either this or that. <clears throat> you take it or you don't. And they won't have conversation with people like you. And so it's it's actually... As my opinion is, it's hurting our community more than it's helping our community. So, well, because yeah. tr- the trans activism doesn't represent transgender people. That's it right. represents the an a particular activist community. That's right. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, well, this is this is another sort of um, these are people struggling with a variety of mental health issues, but. Uh, it is people people yes. struggling with a variety of mental health <laughs> issues. So, like, what? You know, that's one of the things that happens. Again, there are so many, there are so many things going on at once. So like what kinds of, you have a lot of young people coming to you. Um, do you tend to hear from people who have transitioned and want to detransition? Do you hear from people who are just beginning the process? Like who's your sort of your audience? Yeah. What's your kind of clientele? Cause I know you're, <laughs> you're out there on YouTube a lot yeah. and you're really reaching a lot of people. 
you know, I care about the kids. I'll tell you that. Number one, I, you know, the, the, the little older, the, when I, when I say kids, I care about 16, 17 year olds, you know, the 20 plus those kids are in a whole other space. They're, those are the kids that don't necessarily like me so much. I think, uh, they, they feel like I'm attacking them. They feel as if what I'm saying is old school. They call me names like true scum, which means somebody who's, I guess, into, you know, that, that there is that, that's very childish, right? So you can see the, they create names. They create these sort of names against people who don't. That's so just a very childish space. So you, that's why I can't take it personally because I just feel like there's this childish part attached to it. But that being said, the, the people and the kids who reach out to me are usually the youngsters of 16, uh, 17, and then older in the 30s, 40s, 50s and see me transitioned. And so not – and, you know, here's what I think is so mind-blowing for me. I have a huge female – cisgender female fan base who just love me and really respect my voice. And, you know, and I think it's because I am attached to my feminism and I never lost, uh, I never lost that, that sense of being female, if that makes sense. I I haven't lost it and I regained it better than I ever did when I was a woman. And so I'm very attached to my space, uh, uh, my female space, because I saw what happens to women. And I know because I had it firsthand. So I think on some level, because of that, women really attach themselves to me and see that I don't want to create a divide. I want to create a coexistence, if that makes sense. So so it's just a wide, I have such a wide variety. And I also have like gay men who love me. And, you know, I think the least amount right now is a very specific group of trans people that are really hateful to well, another thing that's interesting about you, because you are a female to male trans person, that is what we're seeing this huge uptick in now, right? I mean, like you said, you had never heard of a female to male transgender person back in the day. It was always the other way, not always, almost always the other way around when it was discussed. So, and now we have this thing where, I mean, the statistics are really shaky. So, you know, I, I, I've heard things like there's as much as a 4,000% increase oh, God. in girls announcing trans or trans identities. Maybe it's trans and non-binary. Um, why do you think that it has shifted? Obviously, there are boys who um, who are also going through this. But why do you think it's it's more girls now? Yeah, it's really a, 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 I mean, I can't tell you other than the fact that, you know, we have social media, which I will, I will 100% tell you has some form of responsibility in this. And I think that it's hard to be a girl, harder than to be a boy. And it's, uh, you know, and I do believe that there's some of that shaming of our bodies. It's difficult to start growing boobs. You start becoming sexualized. Who wouldn't want to be a boy at that age? I mean, come on. And so that being said, uh, that's really what I see the uptick in is the fact that there's this more exposure to it. And the more exposure to it, it also is giving people a false sense of of reality. And that's saying that if you start to do this, it will change you and you'll be a better and you'll love life and you'll be okay when that's complete utter nonsense, because I don't see mental health attached to this. I only see physical transition attached to this. So if you're not attaching a, a mental health aspect to this, why are you even touching children physically? That's gross. And so, you know, I had to go through year, two years, I told you, live as a man, walk the world that way. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I've never looked back. And I know I sound old and the kids are always like, well, you're, you're, that's gatekeeping. And, you know, I changed that and I changed that specifically to call it safekeeping. I said, no, it is not. It's called safekeeping. It is in no way, shape or form telling you you cannot transition. It is wanting you to transition if it's right for you. It's holding your hand. Don't you want somebody to hold your hand? 
And then once I started to get that into the kid's head and say, wait a minute here, you're looking at it the wrong way. They started to understand the importance of the first step, which is mental health. And as you know, that's not even part of the steps anymore. It's like you can just walk in and say, I'm trans and start actually taking hormones. I'm mortified. <laughs> yeah, wow. I want to I want to talk about that because yeah. is, you we hear these stories. Um, I guess it, I, I, my question my question is, is that really true? I'm actually I pulled up. Planned Parent, Planned Parenthood's official website, um, they have a page, Gender Affirming Hormone Therapy. They say Planned Parenthood. Um, okay. All right. Well, to be clear, no, this is their main, this is their main national site. They're talking about a New York Planned Parenthood of, uh, uh, this is a region of New York, but I think this is just across the board. Okay. We offer quality, compassionate, gender affirming hormone therapy to our transgender and gender nonconforming patients using an informed consent model. Um, and then it says, if, how old do I have to be to get hormones from Planned Parenthood? From, for our transgender hormone services, we see patients 18 and over. If you are under 18, we can refer you to other providers who can give you hormonal care. Okay, what does that mean? So that means uh, informed consent means called self-ID. So you don't even need to go to a therapist or anything. It's up to you to say when you walk into Planned Parenthood and you say, uh, yes, I feel this. And they ask you like three or four questions. And how does Buck know this? Oh, well, maybe because a lot of people wrote to me and told me that who actually did it. They said, Buck, I didn't even need to go to therapy. I just actually walked into Planned Parenthood, sat down with a person who's an intake person. They asked me a s s simple questions. And the next thing within the hour, within the hour, I was getting my prescription for testosterone. So not hormone blockers, to not, be clear, not, yep. not hormone blockers, nope. but, but how is that with, without parental consent? Under That's 18? right. Without parental consent. This is exactly right. So I think Planned Parenthood is also changing their thing because people are saying, because I, I know a 16-year-old that said that they actually walked into Planned Parenthood and got it. So I don't, they're putting that now on their website. Possibly that's the case because they could, I mean, how can you let a 16-year-old walk into a place and get testosterone? Isn't that illegal? Aren't they minors? <laughs> Isn't this like, don't you need, but now all of a sudden you don't need your parents' uh, approval to do anything. They're actually removing the parents from the whole equation. I mean, is there any other, is there any other area of medicine or mental health nope. where you don't have to get parental consent for nope. medication <laughs> even? Nope. <Anything. laughs> and I'm just like, I'm laughing because I don't want to cry. <laughs> Seriously. I, I, I'm shocked. You know, in Canada, it's really out of control. They even arrested a, a father who tried to say, I'm not comfortable with this and we need to figure this out. And they arrested him because he would not be okay with his daughter taking testosterone. And I'm like, wait a minute here. I'm a parent. I have an eight-year-old. Okay. I'm around kids all day long. I love kids. I just adore them. And I see how they act. And I'm like, you know, if my son decided today, he's going to be like, hey, dad, you know, I want to do this. I would totally let him do it. But socially, socially, I would let him wear the dress, nail polish, whatever he needs to do to make himself feel like a girl, I would let him do it. But why are we letting kids make decisions without their parents? I, I, I'm actually just blown away by that. That really upsets me beyond. And uh, the term affirmative care, right? that means that the the kind of standard of care is going to be we're taking people even kids at their word. Is That's that right. What that means. That's exactly what it means. And why I, I will be honest to tell you that this is very controversial in in my community. I don't believe in gender affirming therapists at all because what happens when you walk into a gender affirming therapist? What's the only thing they're going to talk about? 
your gender. <laughs> and, and I have, again, firsthand experience with a trans kid I work with here and his parents, and he's uh, eight years old. And they took him to a gender affirming therapist and they hate, they said they were so disgusted because what's that thing called? I can never pronounce it, but it's the thing with the beads that you put on either side. Like it's a counting oh, an machine. Yeah, yes. abacus. <laughs> and so basically they, they had that in front of the kid and they were saying, how many beads are on the girl's side and how many beads are on the boy's side? And the kid was like, I don't feel like either. I mean, and, and the parent told me that the gender therapist was forcing them to pick boy or girl. And I'm like, wow, like that's what I'm talking about. There's no nuance within a gender affirming therapist. I mean, what? So that's why I believe that there's an agenda when you walk into a gender affirming therapist, as opposed to just a regular therapist who's very well-rounded and understanding everything and then gives the kid a space there, right? A nuanced space to figure it out before you're just like, you're a boy or a girl. Let's get you on a hormone blockers. Where has this cohort of gender affirming therapists come from? They're not yeah. all transgender right. themselves. That's this right. is a new generation of clinician. It, have they gone to a certain kind of, have they been educated a certain sort of way? Are there like, you know, psychiatric institutes that emphasize this? Is social work school? I mean, my understanding is that if you go to social work school, it has essentially been captured by, um, you know, the, this kind of worst of critical race theory, God. for example, and critical race theory has uses. And I'm not going to like, of course, you know, put of it course. down in That's any right. kind of uh, blanket right. manner. But but so where where are these therapists coming from? Because they're not all trans themselves. That's right. Great question. Oh, my God. Great question. Yeah, I would love to fucking know, too, <laughs> because how are you being trained as a gender therapist? Right. How do you even know? So because I, I speak at a lot of mental health uh, facilities, I speak you know, to therapists who are coming into their space and people do bring me in to speak to their uh, to their to their universities or their places that specifically deal with mental health. So I know I talk to a lot of up and coming therapists who are studying to become more gender therapists. So it's happening within that, those spaces, but how, like, where's the criteria and who writes that and who says this is right and this is wrong? Because I'll tell you what, if you give me the pamphlet of the criteria of what you need to teach, I will probably mark off so much of it as wrong. So you see, so there's, there's like what, for example, can you, well, I I would say that it's not fair for you to have that child sit there and you push them into these gendered spaces, as opposed to just giving them a space to say, well, today I feel feminine or I just want to be a boy. Okay, great. Just be a boy. Like just put on some boy clothes and, and run around the street. I guarantee you that would be a such a healthier space to say, well, and get so deep with these kids you know, get so deep with like the fact that they are trans, you know, this identity of trans is being so loaded on these kids. It's a loaded space and it's, it's not fair. And I don't think that they're giving the kids any space to grow within that space. They're like really pushing you, you know, and I say, I flipped the thing on this one. When I say my therapist pushed me into the gay woman space, never gave me any nuanced space of, well, maybe you're just a boy. Never. So I see it from a space of, of, of me being put in that space and I have experience in it. So yeah, I, I find it to be kind of, um, I feel like there's an agenda, I guess, attached to it. On some but way. it's, I can't ever figure out what the agenda is. What, what is anybody <laughs> right. getting out of this? Do they right. believe right. on some cellular level that there have always been way more transgender people than we could have ever imagined? And they have been um, suppressed all of these decades and centuries. No, uh, and it's now is the moment to let people be who they are. Okay. So if that's, if that's not where they're coming from, mm-hmm. What is it? I mean, I you mm-hmm. don't know the answer, but I it's I well. Just, I mean, mind boggling. 
Yeah, and for me too. Imagine for me, this is my space. This is my community, for a lack of a better word. I hate that word now. So that being said, what did I start to do is I started to look at the money and I started to look at how much surgeries are happening, how many hormones are being given out, how many people, doctors are calling themselves trans surgeons with no formal education around it. And what does that mean? So I'm like, what? So I actually went to a website that's a stock website and it says invest in trans, invest in trans surgery. It's going to become a $5 billion institution. Are you serious? I'm not even kidding. Just go to moneywatch.com. This is a a stock. This is like Bitcoin or something. You know, it's a stock website, Money Watch. It's, it t- tells you where to invest your money, how to invest your money. And there it is in plain sight. Invest your money in trans surgery. It's the future of surgery. It's a, it's a five bill. It's an estimated five billion dollar industry. What? I'm like, what? <laughs> the fact that they're telling me what that, that right there just made a huge red flag for me. I'm like, wow, that's so we're being monetized on something. That, it, I mean, it sounds too, it sounds yeah. too conspiratorial to be true. That's but right. I, I believe. I believe what you're saying. Well, I mean, I'm the, only uh, telling you what I've read. It's like yeah, actually no, in my face. So, so of course, I don't want to think that either. Believe me, I don't. But then I'm like, why is it 4,000% of young girls? Where are the young boys? 4,000% of young girls transitioning at such a fast rate. You know, we're, you're going to see a backlash from it. I hate to say it, but I will be the one to say it because nobody in my community has the balls to say it. But you watch and see what's going to happen. And I've been saying it for years. It's a shame because we're using these kids as pawns where it's all become politicized. No one cares. If you cared about these kids, you would shut up. You would not put your kids on social media. You would quietly do this situation in a very family focused space. You know, I'm around all these kids. The parents I'm around don't post their kids on the internet. They keep very quiet. They have a very specific group of people. And these kids are awesome, but they're not being held out on YouTube and like becoming Instagram stars at 10. And, you know, that in itself makes me sick because I don't, I see something else. I would never do that to my child ever. Well, another thing that's happening with the parents is that they're being told that if they don't that's right, support their child unquestioningly, the child will attempt suicide or commit suicide. And those statistics are wildly inflated are they that's not? right they're so inflated it's gross and the fact that they say that is gross because what are they doing also they're they're actually putting those words in those kids head those kids don't know trans they don't know what trans is now they're all trans at you know 10 like that's a word that's being given to them right and so also suicide when you start i want to see those statistics because we just started transitioning kids. And I don't, you know, of course, I was suicidal at 16. I did try to commit suicide. I was put into a, a mental institution at the time. And so I do believe it's there, but I do not believe it's at the rate that they're, that they're saying. And it could be getting higher because now we're stressing these kids out. And if they don't get their medicine and they don't get their, they're just going to kill themselves. So on some level, we're, we're, we are also part of the responsibility of this. We're not giving them the tools to find their space. We're giving them tools to say, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to kill myself. And then how is that even a positive space to be in? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, it's been weaponized utterly. And I wonder, I sometimes wonder, I want to be a little, I want to be really careful about this, but I sometimes wonder what is considered a suicide attempt also. I mean, this is a whole other conversation. No, no, you're right. It is. You know, you're right. 
You're right. It's difficult because I was suicidal. I did. I was a cutter. I used to take razor blades and cut my face, my arms, everything. I was that kid. Those kids exist, my friend. They are there. They're me. But they cannot be lost in this equation of kids just being non-binary, which is, again, fine. I don't care. Be all that. But it's 100% different than a kid like myself who actually wants to have a sex change and wants to just live as a boy, be that boy is getting lost in this whole equation of this transgender space that's being on some level co-opted. And I don't think the kids are getting get given a fair chance to figure out their space. But if you had been able to transition when you were 10 or 11 or whatever, if you were living in 2021 as an elementary school kid, would your life have been better? Well, great question again, because, you know, I'm very close with my parents and we talk about it all the time and they're just so like freaked out about what's happening. <laughs> Even my parents who are so awesome. They're like, what's happening? <laughs> they go to me. We would have never given you homer blockers. They said that to me right away. They said we would have never done that. We would have definitely kept you the way we did, which was Buck. They did the most awesome job. Imagine in the 60s and 70s what my parents had to go through. Yeah. And their friends would say stuff like this to them. They'd say, like, that's your daughter, not your son. How dare you do that? Then my parents had to deal with all that kind of nonsense. And they were like, basically, my parents are like, F you. That's our kid. We'll do what we wow. want because that's my parents. And so basically, I think that, you know, uh, uh, again, my dad said he would have never done it. And of course, at 10, I would have wanted to do it, right? And then imagine if my parents got knocked out of the equation and that I didn't need my parents' approval and I could have just started doing it. That That's not okay because a kid needs an adult in their life. That, that, that's the whole reason we are parents. We're supposed to guide. We're supposed to be But you might have been the exception. You are a been. transsexual. You, I, I mean, been. you are, mm-hmm. it could have been, you could have been the ultimate success story. A hundred percent. And there were, there's definitely a success stories from back then. I'm sure we weren't giving hormone blockers back then, but we were trans, you know, there's some stories of kids being transitioned back in, but very few, but, but that being said, you know, again, that's the past. What if, right? We could do what if, what if, what if, but look at me today. I'm a pretty much consider myself a badass <laughs> and I consider myself a guy who is very comfortable who I've become. I went through turmoil. I went through hell to get here. And on some level, it's made me that guy. So, you know, again, having a little pushback in life does create a better space for an adult. I think, you know, you got to push back on kids. Sure. You can't just let them have everything they want. Why do you think there is so much anger and hostility in this particular space? Is it because a lot of people are really, at the end of the day, not entirely secure in their identity? I mean, it has the feeling often of somebody who's really kind of has not settled into this identity in any sort of comfortable way. So they're constantly proving themselves. That's right. And very threatened by people who, for instance change their mind or detransition. Oh my God. So then we got that. We'll we'll talk about that hopefully in a minute. But that being said, mob mentality, it's a real thing. That is an actual real thing, the mob mentality. So what happens is you got a lot of youngsters here who are just struggling with whatever they're struggling with. And then they attach themselves to this trans space, which makes them feel needed and wanted. And then they, what do they do? They start getting into the energy of it because trust me, just go there one day, stick yourself right in the middle of one of those Facebook groups. You will feel the anger just so they're all literally being plugged into an anger space and they're all being plugged into this mob mentality everyone's a true scum everyone's a turf everyone's transphobic even if they're in the community if they don't follow these guidelines and to me i'm like wake up people so i really force these kids to get out of those groups and to get out into the world 
I, I did not transition to be trans. I transitioned to be a dude and walk the world and have lots of excellent friendships with people and create products. And, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I created all this on my own without, you know, without worrying that I was trans. So I think we have this idea now that you have to latch on to this or you're not trans. Yeah. I mean, gender identity is not uh, a personality. It's not a political affiliation. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, uh, it's, it's like just one part of you. Do you think that um, part of what's happening is that the gay rights movement has basically won its battles? Like, you know, that there was a lot of progress on that front that happened very quickly. And so now we've got organizations like GLAAD, even the ACLU, oh, which is uh, a, a, a dark shadow of its <laughs> yeah. former self, um, really, really like signing on to um, this this ideology that is that is shared by so few people. I mean, this is really a tiny, tiny sliver of the population that believes this kind of I don't want to say cult like, but it does have that flavor. Um, why do you think these big institutions um, that used to be you know, associated with LGBT, not, well, LGB, LGBT, but the old T, uh, kinds of, uh, kinds of activism have gone over to this side. Wow. I mean, you just, that is such a question that everyone wants to know. You know, I used to be a big supporter of the ACLU and then they got that Chase Strangio dude who's supposed to represent the trans community. Who's not even trans. It's my understanding. Is that right? He's non-binary, right? So he's non-binary, which now is under the trans label. So now people are like trans non-binary, which to me makes no sense. But again, I don't care. It's not my space. I'm a transsexual. You guys can have it. I gave them all that. I will never be in that space. And, uh, but my point being is that he's, he's now speaking for the community, which isn't fair because a lot of the crap that comes out of that guy's mouth is false information and i actually challenged him and i told the aclu you're gonna have yourself into a bad space this guy is actually saying stuff that represents the aclu that is actually false information the next thing i saw he had to take it off of his profile he doesn't his profile now says all comments are my own or something and it's not not representation so like what kinds of things was he saying oh oh, um, the number one thing i can't stand that this guy says the number one thing that i just cannot oh biology is not real. I'm like, what? He goes, and trans women and trans men are biological men and women. I'm like, what are you doing? Do you know how hurtful that is? It is so goddamn hurtful for somebody like me. I was born a woman, whether you like it the heck or not. I don't care. That's the reality of my story and the reality of a transsexual person. I would not be a transsexual. So what you're doing is you're telling me I'm not really a transsexual when you say shit like that. And then what you're doing is you're also discounting the rest of the world which happens to be like 99%, 99.9% of the world is biologically male and female. Like, what are you talking about? Well, right. And also, I mean, sometimes this question of intersex comes up. Right. I mean, there are right. genetic variants. Well, yeah, that's that, like 1% of know. the population. That's not even like, right. it doesn't even really, like, this is no effect. But when he starts saying shit like biology isn't real, oh my God, that just affects everything and it's wrong it's wrong information and that's not okay i'm not cool with that because that's not true we're going to pause here for a brief message hi there my name is paul shirley i'm a former professional basketball player turned writer and also the founder of a thing called the process i'm honored to have a few seconds within megan's podcast to tell you what we do at the process 
If you're anything like most people, you're scattered, overstimulated, and frustrated by your inability to concentrate for long periods of time. Texts, emails, social media, and somehow you're expected to make progress at your job and on your passion projects. It's a lot. This is where the process comes in. I believe that everything worth doing requires a process to do it, a set of habits and routines that allow you to access sustained periods of deep work. Through virtual co-working and productivity coaching, that's what we do at the process. We help people like you learn to be productive, not busy. And here's the best part. You won't be doing this alone. Inside our platform, you'll meet people from all over the world, people who are dealing with the same frustrations you are, and people who want the same things you do, structure, accountability, community, and most of all, progress on the projects most important to you. We'd love to have you. To learn more, come see us at createyourprocess.com. What do you make of the non-binary phenomenon? Because yeah, like yeah. one of the, it's for, for starters, isn't it sort of, isn't there sort of a logical fallacy there that if, if you're going to identify transgender as something, meaning that you're either, you are one sex and you're going to become the other one, then non-binary comes into the equation and it says there's no, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm simple, oversimplifying this. Like, but how, it, if maybe, okay, maybe why can't everyone just be non-binary? Right. Like, would that solve this? Well, yeah, I think really what happened, and I always say it all the time, was it was the shit show of the world when they made transgender an umbrella term. And I said it. I go, you guys are going to completely destroy what's happening here because now you've opened it up to anybody and everybody. You can self-ID. You can come in and be trans. You can do all this stuff. It's literally taken away for people like us who have to struggle, have to have gender dysphoria. Now you don't need you don't need gender dysphoria to be trans. Well, then you're not trans. <laughs> you're you're non-binary. They, which is they totally, say that. They say, oh, my you God. To, that's the new rhetoric. To be trans. Yeah, but what does that even mean? You just say right. you're what does it I, mean? I, I feel like a man, but I'm going to say I'm a woman. Is that, is that what yeah, that means? Yeah, I mean, when you say you oh, don't no, have... Yeah. Well, well, they're basically saying you don't need gender dysphoria to be trans, which makes zero sense. It's like you don't have to have cancer to have cancer. Like, what are you talking about? It's like everyone's going to walk around saying I have cancer, but they don't really have it. It's pretty much on the same space. I don't understand. That's why I have no issues with non-binary. I don't care. That's an identity choice. But what I don't understand is why are you putting it under the transgender label? You see what I mean? So now you're co-opting a space that is really relegated for a very specific group of people who do not feel I, I'm a binary space. And so why would I be with a non-binary person? Because that's not true. I believe in the binary and I am a binary. I went from a woman to live as a man in the binary space. So non-binary doesn't make sense that it's under trans because trans means from one gender to the other. So isn't that what you're saying as well? As yeah. Yeah. It yeah. just doesn't make and sense. Do you think that um, sexual sex stereotypes have intensified over the last several, last couple of decades and made it maybe more difficult for a masculine woman to just be tomboyish, be a kind of butch lesbian? And so, I mean, because I've had this conversation with Katie Herzog, she's actually come on the show twice to talk about some of this stuff. And it's like, you know, there are no more butch lesbians is, you know, we had a kind of, you know, it was a little tongue in cheek, but it was kind of true. Like the lesbians are going extinct. Um, There are, she says she hears from like, you know, women in their twenties who are lesbians who have never actually met, or I don't know what they are. They're non-binary. They've never actually met a lesbian because all the women they know who would otherwise be lesbians are non-binary. Wow. 
Yeah, it's yeah. a new thing. It's a new thing and it's happening, but I don't think it will always be that way. And I totally notice it too. So, you know, I identified as a gay woman 30 years ago. And so imagine that. And then I decided to transition. Everyone freaked out on me. The whole lesbian community freaked out on me. They, they disowned me. They told me to get mm. out of here. They called me a traitor, you know, and all of the things. And then, you know, fast forward 15 years later after my transition, a ton of those women came to me and were like, we, we want to transition now. So how do we do it? Oh my so I was gosh. Like, wow. The same women who wrecked me. So, you know, I don't know. I can't put my mind around it. Other than everyone's different. Everyone has their own process of finding their space, all of that. But I'm wondering why so many butch women now are claiming this space when we really... We really used to celebrate that space. We celebrate it. It's hard. I lived as a butch woman for half my life, basically. It was difficult. People don't like butch women. They don't like feminine men and they don't like butch women. And so those two spaces get really pushed. And I think because of that, on some level, maybe it's pushing them to take on the trans space because they'll be more accepted. Is that true, though? I mean, do you really think there's less bigotry toward trans people than toward non gender conforming? Uh, cis people to use that term. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to use okay. that. <laughs> Sorry. The cis label, whatever that is. <laughs> so, so I, I, on some level I do because of my own experience. So you have to understand I lived as a butch woman and now that I live as a man, holy crap, there's like, <laughs> there's no, it's night and day. I have a whole mm-hmm. other life of, of being this masculine person. And now I'm looked at as a man. So I walk the world that way. Try walking the world as a butch woman. It isn't easy. People do get mad about it. They do throw rocks at you. I mean, I got beat up here in West Hollywood a lot. I mean, I I had physical violence uh, at me because I was so masculine as a woman. Even in West Hollywood. Oh, my God. Even in West Hollywood. I mean, I, 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 I can tell you stories, man. Wow. It was horrifying back in the day. They would chase us with baseball bats. They would literally come down here from other places and wait for the weekend. And these guys would be in trucks with baseball bats and jump out and just beat the crap out of all of us. It was insane. Yeah. 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 And I guess it's notable that countries like Iran that have very high rates of uh, gender transition surgery, it's not because there are so many transgender people there. It's because it's illegal to be homosexual. Yeah, that's so right. They would they would rather you change your gender uh, than be gay. So so that that's a great segue to what I what I feel and it's again my opinion is that I think that the world has an easier time with people in a gendered space than they do with people in a sexual space. And it's why gay people still have a hard time in this world. And Iran is a great example of that. They literally will pay for your sex change because they'd rather you to be a man or a woman than to be a gay person. That says everything to me in the world that homosexuality is still is still a space that is so difficult to be in. We are not free as much as people think, oh, we have so many gay rights. No, we don't. You can still walk down the street here in West Hollywood holding hands and get the shit beat out of you. I see it all. I see so much homophobia here all the time. And so it's, it's a, it's a, mis, it's a, it's misinformation to say that we have gay rights now. You know, I see, I see more trans rights happening at a faster rate than gay rights. Oh, that's so interesting mm-hmm. because, yeah, as a, as a straight person, I, I always just was assuming, well, there's gay marriage and well, yeah, we know, have gay that. people have been hetero heteronormalized, that's like right. in this sort of Ellen DeGeneres mode. So that's right. Therefore, that's right. The work is done. 
But at the same yeah. time, you know, at the same time, trust me, watch two men walk into a movie theater holding hands and watch people right. just get nervous and freaked out. But if a trans woman and a trans guy walked in, people would probably just be super chill because it looks like a man and a woman. And I know that for myself, I walk the world with a woman now and we look like a straight couple and nobody says anything to us. Yet we are right. far from a straight couple. Right. But it's just this per this this presence that we give into the world. So I feel like the world is less, it, it ha has less of a hard time because it's all visual, right? I think the world is really visual yeah. and what they see is what they comprehend in their brain. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. So we're talking about legislation a little bit. Let's talk about some of this anti-trans legislation because I find this difficult to follow. Um, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. We're basically talking about three areas that would be bathroom bills, issues around sports and I guess spaces, you know, spaces like pri prisons, women's shelters, that kind of thing. Okay. And access to care. So I want to, again, touch a little bit back on what we mean when we say access to care, but am I wrong to think that like a lot of these bills are really incoherent and inconsistent? I mean, the bathroom thing especially feels like a red herring since trans people have been using the bathrooms of their choice for centuries the sports piece is complicated because right. the, stake, the stakes are much lower in youth sports yep. in elementary yep. school, That's seemingly right. negligible, mm -hmm. um, high school and certainly college different, you know, different, very different. That's right. That's yeah. Right. So, you know, there's not a lot of data on this. Um, and it's actually, i you may have noticed it's often cited that I think it was the associated press. They called 24 state legislators who had sponsored trans sports ba bans and found that, there, none of them could name any cases where this was actually a problem coming up right. in, in right. sports. I mean, we That's never right. really hear about it or it's That's kind right. of dealt with on a very local community level. That's right. So what do you think about this legislation? Right. I mean, let's let's right. talk about access to care. So what, what does right. that mean when they say they are making they are t saying that trans people cannot have access to medical care? What does that really mean? It's, it's rhetoric because that's not true. Because again, right? It's a blanket statement. This is a very, <laughs> this is a very, it's a very deep conversation. We are not a monolithic community. All of us have different needs, different wants, different ways of transitioning. So how can you lay that language down on just boom? Right. Cause so there's that. That's this again, all this coming from my own opinion as an elder trans person and someone who watches the system. That, that being said, I think that they're saying for kids, I think they're talking about from under 18. So the laws they want to pass are for people under 18. They don't want to be giving them hormone blockers. They don't want to give them access to hormone blockers. But what else? I want to see the rest of what that says. Because does that mean that ne not one child can take hormone blockers? Or does that mean that now you got to go through a system, which is what the trans community doesn't want you to have to go through? The trans, or I should say the trans, the trans activists. The trans Activists don't want you to go through a system. They want you to be having whatever you want. As a human right, every trans person should get whatever they want, which I'm like thinking, wait a minute, that's, that's not, <laughs> that's just a blanket statement because all of us are not the same. So I think that's first off what I think it means. And I think that I'm on board with the fact that we need to have, we need to limit whatever we're doing in these spaces to kids under 18, but we need to have a system put in place. I don't think those kids shouldn't have access to healthcare. They need it, but we need to understand what that means. It's not just black and white. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hormone blockers 
have a lot of uses. I mean, hormone blockers are used for precocious puberty. This is, I mean, this is kind of a off-label use, this, you know, know, way of um, blocking puberty for, for kids who have well, Gender guess what? Issues. All the testosterone I've been taking for the last 27 years is off-label. All of it. It's not made for people like me. We've been using it for, and, and still tons of health problems. You know, I can just tell you so many health problems I've had from having testosterone in my body for 20. I'm like the first case, recorded case in the history of trans men of having atrophy in my, you know, uterus and all of that because of long-term use of testosterone. And I almost died. Yet, no, they're still doing the same exact thing they did to me, to these youngsters. And these youngsters are calling me up or saying, Buck, oh, my God, help me. I'm having these pains. I'm like, it's atrophy. Isn't your doctor talking to you about it? No, they never said anything. I'm like, wow. So <laughs> this, it's, it's, I have actual recorded cases of this happening today. So why is it happening when I'm literally put a YouTube video out to all the doctors in the whole wide world that you can stop this if you do this one thing? And they're not listening to somebody who has a lot of experience. So what does that even mean? Yeah, I want to talk about the medical side in a second, but just since we're on this legislation, is there any of these, you know, this anti-trans legislation that the activists, you know, get, they say they're literally murdering us, they're literally erasing our humanity, et cetera. Uh, is there any of this that that harms you? It, does it, how, well, how might this harm you, make your life worse? Well, it can harm somebody who actually really is struggling with gender dysphoria. I will 100% say that. If they do not have access to any type of uh, trans healthcare, yes, it's going to mess them up. I don't want them to go through what I did. So that's, first off, we need to understand that I don't want any kid to struggle the way I did if they don't have to. But I also want to make sure that this kid is in the right space at the right time and has the right healthcare, not just some willy-nilly, let's give them hormone blockers. So that so we need to have a structure put in place. We need to have mental health care attached to it. We need to have a, you know, a, a long-term space attached to it. Like, how are we going to do this? You know, there's none of that. And so why are they, exp- basically your child is an experiment. That's the fact of it right now. If you're going to put your child on hormone blockers, you are now putting your child into an experimental space. And if you're willing to do that, that's your space. I can't, but I, I think we need to be more honest about that. And we're not, we're not being honest about the fact that this is an experimental space. It's never been done before. Except for, oh, I'm sorry, in Netherlands, they did a whole thing of it in the Netherlands. And it it actually was a really great experiment. So they learned that these kids need mental health care. (laughs) They learned that these kids need to start with mental health care. They need to be in a very loving environment. They did 30 trans kids and all of them, pretty much none of them detransitioned. And they all came out totally great. But it was a long term process. It wasn't, you know, they didn't just slam this into them. Some of them, I think actually some of them did leave the program, but really the ones who made it through are now thriving adults, thriving adults and moving on. But, you know, I think that they also just made a statement where they said, they actually said that hormone blockers aren't tested enough, uh, puberty blockers. So they're actually saying that we shouldn't be giving them to kids right now. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm confused about the hormone blockers too, yeah. because I've heard like people who are pretty, you know, pretty expert on both sides. Some people say, um, oh, they're fine. All they do is give you time. It buys you time to figure yourself out. It it shuts down puberty. Other people say it has lasting effects. I mean, I have to say that I can imagine how awful it would be to be a young uh, kid who really was feeling that his or her body was developing in the wrong direction and that you're running out of time with every passing year, it's going to be harder to pass if you decide to transition later. And I can imagine it would be 
excruciating not to be able to just stop the clock and take uh, hormone blockers. So tell me why it's not as simple as that. It's not because again, all of us are different. Number one, number two, what if you start to do it and you change your mind? How do we know what you just did is not going to affect your reproductive system, your bone growth? I mean, what brain, I, I did actually read about somebody they had on hormone, blo- hormone blockers, a youngster, and they tested his IQ. And then within six months, his IQ had dropped 20%. So what? <laughs> Are we putting that information out there? I, as a parent, I would never want to put my kid on hormone blockers if I knew his IQ was going to be messed with, but number don't, one. But haven't they been using them for precocious puberty forever? That's right. Ever? So that, don't we know from that? So I know I, I have no idea. All I'm reading is this one specific thing. But what but, but, but ages, again, those are very specific cases, Right. And then we, how long have we been giving them the hormone blockers for, there's a process involved. Some kids might need it for two months. Some kids might need it for two years. It's a very much of an individual space. And I, as what I'm hearing is a very blanket statement, what you said, it'll give them time. It will, da, 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 da. but these, they're not a, a, a herd of cows. <laughs> these are individual children who, who actually think and walk and talk differently and have different ideas of what gender is and all of that. So. Yeah. I mean, do you want your kid to suffer because they're going to grow boobs? Well, what does that even mean? Right. I mean, God, it's just I mean, I, I tell you what, as a guy who struggled, I don't think I would put my child on blockers right now. I think I would have them struggle a little bit and deal with what's happening. And I would get them a binder. I would get them things that, you know, in just in case they made that choice to change back that we didn't have to deal with the surgery. I mean, I saw a 13 year old kid get top surgery. What? Come on, man. Let's like this is re- really weird. So when people contact you and say they want to change their mind, they are desisters or detransitioners, what kinds of stories do they tell you? Oh, horrifying. I cry. I, I like cry because I never looked back. So can you imagine for a person like me who actually changed my life for the better? I have the most amazing life. And then when you hear a kid say to me, I made the wrong choice and I removed my breasts and I got a hysterectomy and I have a mustache and I'm really a woman. How do you think that makes me feel? Devastated, devastated for this child because it should never have happened. And so I do not, I don't want to use the word side. I'm very empathetic towards these children because I have the same experience of them and it worked out for me, but it didn't work out for them. And I know why it didn't. I can pretty much look at every single one of these guys and people who wrote to me or talked to me. They all had the same kind of comment, which was, they just pushed me through. Nobody gave me a lot of mental health care. Nobody asked me these certain questions. I just walked in, took hormones, got surgery in a year or two. And, you know, on the flip side of that, I want to say that these kids were probably never trans. And so here they went and they got surgeries where actual trans guys are actually waiting for these surgeries and have to be, you know, two and three years down the road. And these poor kids got that surgery that could have been given to a kid that actually needed the surgery. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening here that's just so messy and it's going to backfire on us. And already the world is seeing this. It's being exposed everywhere now. And so we're starting to talk about detransitioners, which my community has been trying to hide for years. And I've been very attached to them because I believe that they're so necessary in order for us to create a better space for the future of us. Yeah, they're really a threat. You know, we're we're recording this on May 24th. Last night, 60 Minutes ran a segment about, well, I, I wasn't actually able to watch the whole thing because I could just watch little snippets online. But my, I think I heard that initially it was supposed to be about 
detransitioners. And there was so much blowback kind of in pre-production that they ended up making it about transgenderism just more broadly, which you can't really do in 17 <laughs> minutes or even 60 <laughs> minutes, really. Uh, and uh, the they did have a number, they had maybe a, a handful of detransitioners, but most of the segment was taken up with activists and, um, you know, the CBS making damn sure that the fact that they were having transitioners was not, you know, giving any kind of license for the, the wrong side to, to weaponize the, the, the detransitioners and, um, kind of turn the whole thing into an expression of bigotry. I mean, it's just, it's such an unsophisticated mentality that, that somehow to acknowledge the existence of people who went through this in a different way and maybe changed their mind is to erase the existence of trans people. That's, it's like, I think a third grader can kind of like <laughs> balance that logic. Um, and I, just, I don't know if it's just the blunting effects of social media or a kind uh-huh. of willful, a, a willful, um, just just a determination not to engage with it. Is that because some of these activists, you know, they're, they're obviously there's like a constellation of, you know, issues going on with their mental health and personality and just kind of tastes and interests. Is there an overlap with, I mean, we know, I think statistically that there is um, an overlap between uh, autism spectrum and uh, gen- gender dysphoria. So do you have any thoughts about that? Well, no, because I know nothing about autism other than the fact that, yeah, people are being now attaching autism to transgender, which, what is happening here? It's not that simple. And so, yeah, maybe there's a lot of autistic kids claiming they're trans. But remember what I said earlier, these kids are also saying they don't need gender dysphoria to be trans. They don't want to transition. They just want to identify as trans, which is so opposite of who and what I am and where I come from. So that's where we really need to also have the conversation of there are two different trans people now. There are the de- there are the people who medical transition and there's people who do not medically transition and consider themselves to be trans without any mental health issues. And so I don't I'm not attached to that. I have a mental health issue. I have an actual I have an actual problem that I needed to fix through medical medicalization. So that being said, yeah, I did kind of um watch real quick the 60 minutes thing and I did see a lot of detransitioners on there and I actually did see, and I had actually spoken to the producers early on and I knew that they were already nervous to do this and they were going to get a huge amount of backlash because I'm already reading a ton of it the ACLU glad all of them are just like dumping all over them when I find it to be a very important subject that we discuss and so I don't I'm not represented by glad and I'm not represented by ACLU and as a transsexual person I think that that conversation needs to be had and I have to say it, it does take a lot of balls for 60 minutes to do that because they're going to get tons of backlash from it. But that being said, I'm so happy that because they were actually going to pull it. They weren't going to do it. And so I think that they finally just decided that they needed to do it. But I'm going to tell you, I think they gave the transitioners a voice on there. And so what I saw today was an article in, was it, is it Jezebel, I think? And I was so upset. I'm going to write this woman who wrote the article. She, 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 she was really discounting one of the detransitioners on there. Uh, I think it's Grace. And she kept saying alleged, alleged. Uh, she kept using that word alleged. And I'm like, what? This is that person's story. 
This is actually a person's. Did you imagine if they would oh. say that about somebody who was gay or yes. any other That's identity? Right. That's right. It would be un- That's right. unthinkable. Unthinkable. And I was disgusted. And right now, if you saw me, you would see my hair standing up on my arms. <laughs> I'm so mad. I'm like, how dare you discount this poor woman who went through hell and back and has the balls, for lack of a better expression, to stand up to the world and say, I did something that should never happen to somebody else. It takes huge guts to do that. And this woman who's not even probably, I don't even know, does, I'm sure she's not trans. She's one of those al- She's one of those allies. Is like this, uh, she kept just questioning this woman's voice. And I just was so appalled that, that this person got to write that. So I'm going to- well, There's a lot of signaling that goes on. That's right. So when, when you have these conversations, uh, that's right. people need to, whether or not they secretly want to hear the conversation or even yeah. agree with a lot of what you're saying, if they're that's part right. of this community, they need to signal to their to their peers that they are on the right side. That they're on the so, right side. That's why yeah. it's so gross. How dare that they've done this to my community? How dare that they're making people choose sides? How dare that they're making people say that if you don't do this, you're transphobic? How dare that they make people have this idea that we are not, you know, that we're not, no, biology doesn't exist, that no matter what, if a child says they're trans they're trans how dare would you question any child if the child said something of course you would you would say wait a minute here let's sit down and have this discussion and so that's why i will not be on board with these trans activists they're not they're not activists they're they're on some level it feels very culty to me and i will not be a part of a a, a situation that does not reflect my own space yeah and i can only i can only imagine how many parents out there were so grateful to 60 minutes for doing that segment, I mean, people are really, really befuddled. They are incredibly concerned about their kids. They want to do the right thing. Um, but there's no, they're, they're not even allowed to kind of have the conversation. It's funny. So I started this podcast last August, basically. Um, one of my earlier guests is a, was a, is a, uh, gender dysphoria therapist named Sasha Ayad. She's wonderful. She, um, has by far that interview has by far the most downloads of any interview I've done on this show and the fewest comments. Wow. Nobody has said a word about it. What? A couple people. Yep. Um, the, the ratio of the, between the listens and the public reaction is like wow. a yawning gulf. <laughs> and, and I, and it's so telling. It's, because yeah, people right. people are are really um, they're ravenous for this information, and she talks about this in such a, a careful and compassionate and genuinely informative way. Um, but everyone just kind of secretly, you know. Well, people are scared. I mean, the backlash yeah. is insane. I don't I, honestly. I do not even understand the power that this community has and where it came from. We're so I think small. That's, that's the fundamental question. That's like, right. where is it coming from? Because Money. it's in it's in the school, but it's like, why is you know, your average seventh grade teacher in a middle school. Uh-huh. So gung ho behind this. I mean, because I know- she's being told that if she does not, she will lose her job. So seriously, I'm not kidding. There are mm-hmm. money behind this. Do you know that there are very powerful trans women out there who have a lot of money, like billions, billions. And and, and if they give you a really? hundred billions, I'm not. Oh, wow, Can you really? name names? <laughs> there I don't are know. a lot. <laughs> I, I thought there were. I thought there were no billionaire women. Are you oh, kidding? Oh yeah, there, there is trans a, well, women. Only they're trans women, right? Yes, they, yes, they have to start women. out start out as men in order That's to. Right. Uh, uh, That's catch right. Up to the billionaire Some class. own yes, big big pharmaceutical companies. They own all. They're dumping tons of money. Some they transitioned late, right? 
what, what are, what's her name? Uh, uh, Martine Rathbone. Do you know who that is? Martine Rathbone. No, She's like a billionaire scientist. She's the one who believes transhuman. We're all transhumans. She pushes a huge agenda. She has billions. Look her up. Martine Rathbaum, I think her name is, trans woman. She gives a ton of money to organizations. So when a school gets a $500,000 donation, how do you think that school is going to act now? Right? But Remember a public whole... school? I'm talking about kids in public school systems. Yeah, of I course. Mean... You don't think they're donating to, to, to certain spaces that now create? It's money. I, there's no other way. We live in America. <laughs> we live in America. What is America about? Capitalism, money, money talks. I know I work in institutions that are about money, cannabis, uh, uh, sexual wellness. It's all about money. What's going to sell? What's going to make you money? They don't really care about the underlying space. Same with this. That's what I see in this. I see a lot of money attached to this. And and that's the part that scares me because it's like, why has this become such a space of money? Why has this become such a space to push? Why are we pushing so many people to transition? That weirds me out. When it used to be the opposite way, we used to say, wait a minute here, let's have a little bit of time and see what happens with this child. And then maybe they're just going to grow out of it. We all know many of them grow out of it. I hope you'll forgive me. I noticed that you have a birthday coming up. When I was researching you, <laughs> right on. Uh, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be fifty nine. That's right. Very, very soon. That's right. Um, That's right. <laughs> how how is your health? How has your health yep. been affected by thank you by your transition? You. Yeah, I appreciate that question. So I suffered for a little while. Uh, Fifteen years ago, I had what we call atrophy, and you know it, it basically fused my uterus and my cervix together, and I got an infection, and no one could figure it out. And for three years, I suffered until. I became septic and almost died. And then it became a big deal. And I got a major hysterectomy and I would have alleviated all of that. Number one, by getting a hysterectomy and by number two, by getting estrogen supplements given to my body. So that was my most, that was my most insane space. And it was horrifying. I was out of, out of commission for a year because of it. And so from that, I have not had a lot of really uh, other health problems. That was the most drastic. I can say that I do get moody. Things happen. I'm not sure what's going on with my body after 27 years of testosterone. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I feel awesome, but you know, I go to the doctor and it's just like, I'm just having a regular checkup. So again, who knows what's going on? But to be, that being said, I don't drink alcohol. I don't do drugs. I, you know, I use cannabis, but other than that, I eat well. I'm very, I work out. I very much focus on my health. Uh, and I try to do that as inspiration to other trans people because I don't see them focusing also on their physical health. I only see them focusing on transitioning to be a man or a woman or whatever that means. But, you know, how our health is very important because we are, again, it's experiments and who knows what's going to happen. And did you say you have a son? You have an eight-year-old? Yeah, I have a son. I have an eight-year-old. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's so great. He's amazing. What kind of, what kind of, life does he have? Where does he see? So, so I'm not, this? you talk about these issues. Like, no, I mean, just in terms of yeah. like, does he go to school and everyone yeah. gets excited when somebody announces that they're uh-huh. questioning their gender? Uh-huh. So, so he goes to a, a private school over here in Hollywood. And so he, um, he, he has actually two kids there who are trans, which is so interesting. And they actually, so I, I, I'm not in agreement with what happened. You know, they announced that this kid is trans to the whole school. And I'm like, what? Why would you do that? That's when I became friends with the parents because I was like, wait a minute, you can, you're putting your kid on display and kids don't care. The kids were like yawning. <laughs> they were like, who cares if he's trans? Oh, they had to do it because he was a girl who became a boy and they wanted to make sure that he was going to be using the boys room. So they said, you know, Eli's going to be using the boys room for now on. And every, and then my son's name is Jonah. Jonah's all, 
like we care. <laughs> I'm just thinking that's so awesome. Kids are so great. They're like, we don't care. <laughs> but, but, but so he knows I'm trans, but he doesn't know what that means. He does not know what that means at all. We just, we said it. I said I was born without a penis. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, <laughs> can you help me fix this toy? <laughs> he's just like, whatever. <laughs> he doesn't care. He's just like, so, I, you know, I'm always about, I always want to be honest with that kid. And I always want to be sort of forthright because, you know, I am somebody he might see on the internet one day or something. You know, I think it's important for him to be educated around all this stuff. He has a, he has a gay uncle. So he's pretty, you know, we live in LA, so it's pretty diverse stuff going on here. And, and you know, I'm very honest about everything. Kid, so uh, it's just amazing having a kid in your life. You get to see so many things. Well, Buck, this has been really an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for taking all this time and um, and talking about this. And maybe you'll come back sometime. I will. We can. Uh, I, w- I will. Get Thank to you. All the, we've only we've only skimmed <laughs> the surface. I feel like so. I know. We got to talk about sports. And we got to talk about the bathrooms and the prisons and all of those yes. spaces because you know it's not black and white. That's just what I'm. I'm going to leave it there. It's not. Black no, and white. it's really it's really complicated, yep. and uh, it's just never it never seems to be uh, addressed with any nope. kind of uh, any kind of layered nuance right. or any sort of layers or any of you're that. right. So. So uh, thank you for thank you for fighting the fight and um, happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. That was my interview with Buck Angel. He's an entrepreneur and educator in the area of trans healthcare. He's also been a groundbreaking figure in the porn industry, which we didn't get a chance to talk about in this interview, but that you can learn more about in various places, including in a documentary about his life called Mr. Angel which was released in 2013 and premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival. You can also visit his YouTube channel at Buck Angel and his website, buckangel.com. You've been listening to The Unspeakable Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash the unspeakable. This is a great time to join because most likely in the coming weeks, the podcast will begin to have more advertisements. If you join the Patreon at any level, you will get ad-free versions of the show, plus early access to the show. If you join at the $10 a month level or higher, you'll get $10 off your first purchase of official unspeakable podcast, Nuanced AF Merchandise. There are hats, shirts, mugs, thermoses, stickers, magnets, a baby onesie that is super cute because nothing's more nuanced than a baby. You can find all of that in the Nuance store on the show's website, theunspeakablepodcast.com. And also, if you are interested in nuance, there's an interview with me in a recent issue of the digital magazine, The Signal, where I talk about nuance with Phoebe Maltz-Bovey, who's a former guest of this show. Uh, that magazine can be found at the sgnl.com. It's called The Signal. I'll be back next week with another super nuanced guest. In the meantime, thanks for listening. See you next time. Blinded by love and worlds apart, it's a new season of 90 Day Fiance the Other Way. TLC is shaking up Sunday nights as all the drama heads overseas. 
cheating scandals, culture clashes, and even a devastating hurricane won't stop these six couples from following their hearts. With everything on the line, can their love go the distance? 90 Day Fiance the Other Way, every Sunday at 8, 7 central on TLC. Set your DVR. Cox can help make your home smarter and your life easier. Now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. And if you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Just say, show me driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash thisishome today. Hi, I'm Frank. I don't like change. And I just saw a billboard for this new BJ's Wholesale Club talking about how you could pay as little as two cents a gallon for gas. Look, when gas prices are this low, we can't complain about gas prices being too high. No, sir. I wouldn't join BJ's Wholesale Club. Hey, thanks, Frank. But if you do want to sign up now for ridiculously low gas prices, join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in South Fayette. Visit BJ's.com slash South Fayette or the BJ's Membership Center at Newbury Market. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert, caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals and recovery support specialists. At RCA's state-of-the-art campus, in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs like PRIZE, a unique program for people who have been in recovery but have relapsed. Here, you won't have to start from step one. You'll build off the knowledge you've previously acquired in treatment and focus on the areas of your recovery that need improvement. RCA answers the phone and accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most major insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. 